Thanks for hitting that button. You are listening to The Mark the Shark Show. All right, guys, you ready to rock? Are you excited? Well, sit back and enjoy. And welcome to The Mark the Shark Show. Hi everyone, this is your host, Mark the Shark. I want everybody to know that not only do I have this podcast, I have another podcast about the sport of mixed martial arts. So if you're into that kind of thing, check out my other podcast called The Mark the Shark MMA Show. And if you want to be on that show or this show, make sure you contact me on Facebook at Mark the Shark MMA Show. And, and that's my Facebook channel. Or you can go to my website, www.mark with a C. The Shark MMA Show.com. Again, it's www.markthesharkmmashow.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Mark underscore Retorto 2. That's Mark, M A R C underscore Retorto, R I T O R T O 2. That's for Instagram or Mark BJJ Fighter on Twitter. And also, don't forget to check out my YouTube channels. I got the Rockin' with Mark YouTube channel. That's Rockin' with Mark with a C again. Or the Mark the Shark MMA show, all on YouTube. All right, guys. Hope you enjoy the podcast and keep on listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mark the Shark show. I hope everyone's having a great day. We have a great episode in store for you. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today we got Brian Finney, the author of Dangerous Conjectures, and he is an English professor. How are you doing today, Finney? Brian, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well, thank you, Mark. <laughs> and where do you teach English right now? Uh, I don't any longer. Uh, oh, you're I've, retired? Yeah, I've retired after a long time, yeah. I've been, I've been writing novels ever since. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah, that's a good way to spend your retirement, keep yourself busy, right? Yeah. It's certainly, particularly during the pandemic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and from what I've seen, like you've written um, over seven nonfiction books and two novels, and your latest one is Dangerous Andrew. Conjectures, which is available, uh, well, I see it here on the list on Amazon and Kindle an audiobook format as well as paperback format. Correct. Yeah. So uh, without spilling too much, because we want people to, you know, obviously buy your book. I don't know if wanted to know if you want to give a brief summary as to what the uh, the book's about. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was set in the first three months of uh, 2020 when the virus was spreading and it actually ends the day that uh, schools and offices and so on locked down um, and went remote. Um, so it, it ends about March 15th or thereabouts. It's also located in Oakland in the East Bay area, um, which I know I frequently go there and visit a friend there. Um, and it features uh, a university professor, not in English like me, but in computer science, uh, deliberately because you know he as a scientist he believes in facts uh, in fact he, he almost believes in facts too much and he's married to a researcher for the ACLU in San Francisco 
Um, and as the coronavirus uh, grows and spreads, she gets more and more terrified. Uh, you know, death is waiting outside the door as far as she's concerned. And that makes her commit a number of um, errors which have consequences. Um, she keeps on for a start listening to some of the conspiracy theories, uh, which her husband, you know, constantly knocks down. But she also is uh, looked up by an old boyfriend um, and um, her one meeting with, or, you know, yes, her one meeting with him has very serious consequences, including um, stalking of the whole family. Um, the, the theme of it really, you know, I mean, it, there's two things going on. I mean, first of all, there is that the primary elections with a White House dead set on creating so much violence that the general final election will be canceled. And there's also the, the conspiracy theory QAnon, which the computer scientist professor decides to investigate um, and discovers to his surprise and shock uh, that it's actually a physical organization, which is not in real fact, um, and that it has ties to the White House, um, which uh, are of a more concrete nature than uh, were present in 2020. So um, it, it, it raises quite a lot of um, very um, contemporary concerns that are still, still concerns to us now, like you know, the spread of the virus, like the spread of conspiracy theories, and the violence that you know, the ex-date uh, threatens the family with is paralleled by the violence that uh, the conspiracy theorists and extremists uh, from the right are creating around the primaries. In fact, Dangerous Conjectures comes from Hamlet um, and reflects the sort of uh, the idea that America at, in 2020 was somewhat like Denmark in Hamlet's time. In other words, you know, it was rotten to a core. And at the head of it was somebody who was lying and a murderer. Well, I don't know about a murderer in our case, but it was certainly who was lying. So that might give you some idea of you know, the scenario. Oh, interesting. Now, were you writing a book anyway and the coronavirus hit and you decided, oh, let me just center on the coronavirus? Or was it the coronavirus itself and what was going on that inspired you to write the book? Um, I, I always try and set the individual characters who, of course, occupy you know, center space in a book against what is a contemporary issue or issues that are going on. I mean, for example, the previous, oh, okay. novel, uh, the previous novel, Money Matters, was set against the midterm election of 2010. And actually one of the major characters was running against Jerry Brown rather than Meg Whitman. <laughs> so you know, they always integrate into the social and political um, you know, background of the time. So they're more relevant. You know, you're not just reading about a couple of individuals who've been dreamed up by you know, their author, you're reading about individuals actually interacting with the situation that all your readers are interacting with as well. Ah, okay, that's pretty interesting. Now, is your book focused on any of the uh, conspiracy theories that, are, that are surround the coronavirus as to how it spreads or was there any Indeed. medical oh, yes. or biological research you had to do for the book? 
uh, I, yes, of course, it involved a lot of research because when I started, nobody had ever heard of QAnon. I mean, it's hard to believe that now, but back in you know uh, March, shall we say, of 2020, whenever I said to my friends, well, you know, one of the things I'm writing about is QAnon, they'd say what? And then when I'd say, well, you know, this is conspiracy theory about um, a satanic cult of uh, pedophiles from the left, they would sort of roar with laughter saying that that's never going to go anywhere, is it? Well, of course it did go, uh, it, you know, it really took off. And this is one of the things that bewilders the professor, um, you know, who's, he can't understand how something non-factual like that, based on no evidence at all, can have such an appeal. And one of the things he has to learn is that emotions actually, uh, emotional truth, if you like, uh, will always um, defeat intellectual, factual truth, factual truth. Um, uh. You know, this, this is one of the sad things. This is why these conspiracy theories are so successful. Doesn't mean they're right. right. Yeah, reading up on it now, on that uh, conspiracy theory. How do you how do you say it? Kion? Kion? QAnon. QAnon. This guy Q kept on posting stuff about you know um, the you know former uh, president. It's pretty Ryan interesting. Wolf. I'm on the Wikipedia page uh, page uh -huh. for it. Yeah, and it's uh, they say it's a disproven far right conspiracy theory alleging that a cabal of satanic cannibalistic <laughs> pedophiles operate <laughs> a global sex trafficking ring and conspired against the formal president donald trump during his term in office that's pretty good man yeah that's pretty good yeah and there were a huge number of people subscribed to it and followed it uh, they were totally i mean you know they would they would do nothing but follow its clues and do research um, you know, research in, in the conspiracy theory world uh, for hours every day. Uh, and they would turn up at all of uh, Trump's rallies, uh, big Q signs. Yeah, I love, I love conspiracy theories. <laughs> actually, I don't know if you, if I actually wrote a book called The Cabal, The Saga Begins, and it has like a lot yeah. of, yeah, yeah, it has a little bit of uh, conspiracy theory in that. But this, this is pretty... Uh, Interesting. I, I never knew about that 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 group either. So that's pretty good. Yeah, nice. they, they became quite powerful. Wow. They, they, they've subsequently, you know, because they they were convinced that um, the president would have the army or the, the armed forces arrest all the members of the cabal, and it never happened, of course, because you know there was no such thing happening. Um, after the election, their membership dropped off considerably, so it's no, no longer as powerful as it was in 2020. Wow. Now, are you, is this going to be like a one-time thing for the characters in this book, or are you going to like spin off like any sequels for it, or no? You know, the, I mean, there's, a, there's an enormously popular trend of having sequels because once a reader has found an author they like, then you know they want to read as much as possible by that author. Um, but so far, uh, neither of the novels that I produced have um, made me want to continue um, with that particular set of characters. And in fact, I'm rather more interested at the moment in writing a new book about a confrontation between um, 
a hedge fund manager, you know, very well off and, you know, always been, uh, never had to worry about anything basically in his life. And uh, a homeless uh, woman um, who ends up in his household uh, as his housekeeper and, and that meeting between two total polar opposites in American society from the rich and the poor. Mm. Probably where I'm going. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, I mean, there's always this, you know, I always find it fascinating how people come up with their ideas. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, I, I, for me, I mean, one of the reasons I chose that is because it's one of the most, what should I say, urgent social issues of, of our, our mm. country at the moment. Now, did you start writing books when you retired, or were you writing books no. while you were teaching as well? I, I, I was writing, uh, um, I was writing nonfiction books, uh, like uh, I wrote a, a biography, for example, of uh, Christopher Isherwood, who uh, wrote um, a couple of books on which Cabaret, the you know the uh, the musical Cabaret, was was yep. uh, based, um, and. Uh, he, he lived in Santa Monica, actually, which is very close to where I live in Venice in California. Um, and from there on, I, I wrote a series of other nonfiction books, some to do with my teaching um, and some not to do with my teaching. I mean, the last one I wrote, for example, was called Terrorized, how the war on terror affected American culture and society, because I think it, mm. it really changed, changed us. Yes, it did. Definitely did. And now, then after that, sorry, after, after that, I wrote the two novels. Once, once I stopped teaching full time, I wrote these two novels and maybe another one coming up. Now, was there any particular reason as to why you didn't write like fiction books while you were teaching? Um, for a time, there certainly was a very good reason, which is that, you know, there's huge pressure on you as an academic um, in that system to produce uh, scholarly work within your, you know, within your discipline. So, oh. so that that was partly what I was writing. So it wasn't always directly addressing that. And particularly the war on terror one was had nothing. I mean, wasn't even in my discipline. Uh, yeah. but that, was yeah. the, that was a major reason why I, I I didn't have the what should I say? I didn't have the freedom, the sense of you know what do I want to do next that I had after I stopped teaching. And wow, you know. <laughs> I discovered that what I wanted to do was not talk about narrative, but write narrative. <laughs> yeah, so I'd assume you prefer writing fiction books over nonfiction, right? Because I would assume that the fiction book, I mean, not that you don't do um, have to do research for fiction books, but a lot of it, you know, it's coming from, you know, from within your own imagination. So it's, it's I want, I don't want to say it can be less work, but it's, I would say it's, well, for me, I would think it would be more enjoyable. Would you, would you it agree? Is. It is definitely more fun. I agree. <laughs> and as you say, I mean, you know, you come up upon a situation and you think, okay, I want to produce this scene. And that's when you have to do the research. But then once you've done the research, you can go back and, and imagine the actual scene and what people say and what people do. So the research yeah. is in the background. I hear you. I hear you. Mm. Now, if you had any um, advice to give like a new writer, um, that's thinking of writing a book and publishing it, what, what would you give them? What advice would you say? Um, well, for, firstly, never be afraid 
to revise and and um, even erase. You know, always uh, if anything is not going well, then stop and go back to where it was going okay and it may be wipe out whatever it was that was causing the problem and never be um, afraid to accept other people's suggestions and advice and criticism um, you don't have to accept it but at least listen to it because usually it's very useful mm. if it's constructive criticism and then thirdly um you you have to have a professional editor you have to uh, it's it costs a bit costs quite a bit, but you have to hire a professional editor because you just cannot see the book straight yourself. Mm. I got another question for you. Do you base any of the characteristics of the characters that you're writing about in your book on you on you and your own personality or or you just make it in, in brand the first book, fresh from scratch? <laughs> in the first book, I, I didn't know. Um, in the second book, I did uh, to some extent. I mean, you know, the fact that um, my male protagonist was a was a professor who also was skeptical about um, non-factual conspiracy theories um, reflected my own skepticism about it, and the fact that I couldn't quite understand it. Well, you know, therefore I set him off actually investigating the entire cult to see what it is that makes them believe this utter nonsense basically and you know basically uh, uh, what what does in fact inspire them is that they have uh, generally speaking their lives are a disappointment uh, if not a complete failure uh, and the joining the conspiracy theory makes them join uh, an army of individuals who are on the winning side so to speak uh, and who are encouraging one another and who are giving them a sense of you know we're winning rather than i'm losing <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah, because I know sometimes I like when I write, I would always pretty much base the characters either on my part of my part of their characteristic characteristics on on me, or you know, and and then the other characters would be based on people I know. That that's why I had I wanted to ask that question because it's always it's always interesting as to how um, writers develop the characters within their book. You know, I always find that fascinating. Do you do a lot of book tours to support your book or? Well, in, certainly not with this one. You know, this is one of the sad things that authors depend quite a bit on readings in bookstores and so on. Yeah. And book clubs. And none of that is being done except virtually. And that doesn't, doesn't have the same effect because, you know, if you're in a bookstore and somebody's signing the books, of course, you're going to buy them and get, get them signed. But... If somebody offers to send you a signed copy in return for you know the purchase price, those are it's too remote. You know, a few people will do it, most of them won't. Yeah, I guess I guess hopefully that changes. I mean, I don't know where you are if things have opened up or not. A little. But, uh, hopefully well, that changes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I agree with you. I hope it changes. I can't wait for it to change, but at the moment yeah. it's still pretty closed down, particularly here in. Um, you know, LA County, which is where I live, um, very restricted. You can't go anywhere in, indoors without mask, etc. Wow, yeah. Mm. Jersey was like that for a little bit. They, they've lightened up, but who knows what's going to happen now? Yeah. What's going out there now. Now, do you have a website that pe if people wanted to contact you? I, I do. Um, and it's quite a comprehensive website. 
Uh, it's B H Finney, F I N N E Y, B H Finney at B H Finney.com. Oh, okay. And for everybody else who wants to get in touch with him on social media, he's available on Instagram. Yes, I just am. look for Brian Finney Writer. So that's Brian, B R I A N F I N N E Y Writer. And then you can just find him on Instagram there. Great. Well, Brian, it was a, it was great having you on your show. Hopefully, we can have you back on when you come out with another with your other book that you're working on. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it was great talking about your book. And again, everybody, check out his book. It's available on Amazon. It's uh, called Dangerous Conjectures, and it's written by Brian Finney. It, can it can your book be bought anywhere else? Like is it available like in barnesandnoble.com or anywhere else? Or is it just yeah, yeah. um in another month or so it will be, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But for now you can get it on Amazon. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, again, it was great having you on the show. And for everybody that's listening, uh just stay tuned and we'll be back after a short break. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And today we got Brian Finney, the author of Dangerous Conjectures, and he is an English professor. How are you doing today, Finney? Brian, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well, thank you, Mark. <laughs> Where do you teach English right now? Uh, I don't any longer. Uh, oh, you're I've, retired? Yeah, I've retired after a long time, yeah. I've been, I've been writing novels ever since. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah, that's a good way to spend your retirement. Keep yourself busy, right? Yeah. It's certainly, particularly during the pandemic. Yeah, mm. yeah, and from what I've seen, like you've written um, over seven nonfiction books and two novels, and your latest one is Dangerous Thank Conjectures, you. which is available. Uh, well, I see it here on the list on Amazon and Kindle an audio book format as well as paperback format correct yeah so uh without spilling too much because we want people to you know obviously buy your book i don't know if wanted to know if you want to give a brief summary as to what the uh the book's about oh sure yeah. um it was it was set in the first three months of uh 2020 when the virus was spreading and it actually ends the day that uh, schools and offices and so on locked down um, and went remote. Um, so it, it ends about March 15th or thereabouts. It's also located in Oakland in the East Bay area, um, which I know I frequently go there and visit a friend there. Um, and it features uh, a university professor, not in English like me, but in computer science, uh, deliberately because you know he, as a scientist, he believes in facts. Uh, in fact, he, he almost believes in facts too much. And he's married to a researcher for the ACLU in San Francisco. Um, and as the coronavirus uh, grows and spreads, she gets more and more terrified. Uh, you know, death is waiting outside the door as far as she's concerned. And that makes her commit a number of um, errors which have consequences. Um, 
she keeps on for a start listening to some of the conspiracy theories, uh, which her husband, you know, constantly knocks down. But she also is uh, looked up by an old boyfriend um, and um, her one meeting with, or, you know, yes, her one meeting with him has very serious consequences, including um, stalking of the whole family. Um, the, the theme of it really, you know, I mean, it, there's two things going on. I mean, first of all, there is that the primary elections with a White House dead set on creating so much violence that the general final election will be canceled. And there's also the, the conspiracy theory QAnon, which the computer scientist professor decides to investigate um, and discovers to his surprise and shock uh, that it's actually a physical organization, which is not in real fact, um, and that it has ties to the White House, um, which uh, are of a more concrete nature than uh, were present in 2020. So um, it, it, it raises quite a lot of um, very um, contemporary concerns that are still, still concerns to us now, like you know, the spread of the virus, like the spread of conspiracy theories, and the violence that you know, the ex-date uh, threatens the family with is paralleled by the violence that uh, the conspiracy theorists and extremists uh, from the right are creating around the primaries. In fact, Dangerous Conjectures comes from Hamlet um, and reflects the sort of uh, the idea that America at, in 2020 was somewhat like Denmark in Hamlet's time. In other words, you know, it was rotten to a core. And at the head of it was somebody who was lying and a murderer. Well, I don't know about a murderer in our case, but it was certainly who was lying. So that might give you some idea of you know, the scenario. Oh, interesting. Now, were you writing a book anyway and the coronavirus hit and you decided, oh, let me just center around the coronavirus? Or was it the coronavirus itself and what was going on that inspired you to write the book? Um, I, I always try and set the individual characters who, of course, occupy you know, center space in a book against what is a contemporary issue or issues that are going on. I mean, for example, the previous, oh, okay. novel, uh, the previous novel, Money Matters, was set against the midterm election of 2010. And actually, one of the major characters was running against Jerry Brown rather than Meg Whitman. <laughs> so, uh -huh. you know, they always integrate into the social and political um, you know, background of the time. So they're more relevant. You know, you're not just reading about a couple of individuals who've been dreamed up by you know, their author, you're reading about individuals actually interacting with the situation that all your readers are interacting with as well. Ah, okay, that's pretty interesting. Now, is your book focused on any of the uh, conspiracy theories that are that are surround the coronavirus as to how it spreads or was there any Indeed. medical oh, yes. or biological research you had to do for the book? Uh, yeah. I, yes, of course, it involved a lot of research because when I started, nobody had ever heard of QAnon. I mean, it's hard to believe that now, but back in you know uh, March, shall we say, of 2020, whenever I said to my friends, well, you know, one of the things I'm writing about is QAnon, they'd say, what? And then when I'd say, well, you know, this is a conspiracy theory 
about um, a satanic cult of uh, pedophiles from the left, and they would sort of roar with laughter saying, that, that's never going to go anywhere, is it? Well, of course it did go, uh, it, you know, it really took off. And this is one of the things that bewilders the professor, um, you know, who's, he can't understand how something non-factual like that, based on no evidence at all, can have such an appeal. And one of the things he has to learn is that emotions actually, uh, emotional truth, if you like, uh, will always um, defeat intellectual or factual truth, factual truth. Um, uh. You know, this, this is one of the sad things. This is why these conspiracy theories are so successful. Doesn't mean they're right. right. Yeah, reading up on it now, on that uh, conspiracy theory. How do you how do you say it? Kion? Kion? QAnon. 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 Ah. This guy Q kept on posting stuff about you know um, the you know. Uh, it's pretty right. interesting. I'm on the Wikipedia pre, uh, page uh -huh. for it. Yeah. And it's, uh, they say it's a disproven far right conspiracy theory alleging that a cabal of satanic, cannibalistic pedophiles <laughs> operate a global sex trafficking ring and conspired against the formal president, Donald Trump, during his term in office. That's pretty good, man. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. And there were a huge number of people subscribed to it and followed it. Uh, they were totally, I mean, you know, they would, they would do nothing but follow its clues and do research, um, you know, research in, in the conspiracy theory world uh, for hours every day. Uh, and they would turn up at all of uh, Trump's rallies, uh, big Q signs. Yeah, I love, I love conspiracy theories. <laughs> actually, I don't know if you, if I actually wrote a book called The Cabal, The Saga Begins, and it has like a lot yeah. of, yeah, yeah, it has a little bit of a conspiracy theory in that, but this, this is pretty uh, interesting. I, I never knew about that, that, that group either. So that's pretty good. Yeah, nice. they became quite powerful. Wow. They, they, they subsequently, you know, because they, they were convinced that um, the president would uh, have the army or the, the armed forces arrest all the members of the cabal, and it never happened, of course, because, you know, there was no such thing happening. Um, after the election, their membership dropped off considerably, so it's no, no longer as powerful as it was in 2020. Wow. Now, are you, is this going to be like a one-time thing for the characters in his book, or are you going to like spin off like any sequels for it or no? You know, the, I mean, there's, a, there's an enormously popular trend of having sequels because once a reader has found an author they like, then you know, they want to read as much as possible by that author. Um, but so far, uh, neither of the novels that I produced have um, made me want to continue um, with that particular set of characters and in fact I'm rather more interested at the moment in writing a new book about the confrontation between um, a hedge fund manager, you know, very well off and you know always been, uh, never had to worry about anything basically in his life and uh, a homeless uh, woman um, who ends up in his household uh, as his housekeeper and, and that meeting between two total 
polar opposites in American society from the rich and the poor. Mm. Probably where I'm going. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, I mean, there's always this, you know, I always find it fascinating how people come up with their ideas. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, I, I, for me, I mean, one of the reasons I chose that is because it's one of the most, what should I say, urgent social issues of, of our, our country at the moment. Now, did you start writing books when you retired or were you writing books no. while you were teaching as well? I, I, I was writing, uh, um, I was writing nonfiction books. Uh, like uh, I wrote a, a biography, for example, of uh, Christopher Isherwood, who uh, wrote um, a couple of books on which Cabaret, the you know the uh, the musical Cabaret was was yep. uh, based, um, and uh, he he lived in Santa Monica actually, which is very close to where I live in Venice in California, um, and from there on I, I wrote a series of other non-fiction books, some to do with my teaching. Um, and some not to do with my teaching. I mean, the last one I wrote, for example, was called Terrorized, how the war on terror affected American culture and society, because I think it, mm. it really changed, changed us. Yes, it did, definitely did. And now, then after that, sorry, after, after that, I wrote the two novels. Once, once I stopped teaching full time, I wrote these two novels and maybe another one coming up. <laughs> Now, was there any particular reason as to why you didn't write like fiction books while you were teaching? Um, for a time, there certainly was a very good reason, which is that, you know, there's huge pressure on you as an academic um, in that system to produce uh, scholarly work within your, you know, within your discipline. So, oh. so that, that was partly what I was writing. Though it wasn't always directly addressing that, and particularly the war on terror one was, had nothing, I mean, wasn't even in my discipline. Uh, yeah, but that was, yeah. the, that was the major reason why I, I, I didn't have the, what should I say, I didn't have the freedom, the sense of, you know, what do I want to do next that I had after I stopped teaching? And wow, you know, I discovered that what I wanted to do was not talk about narrative, but write narrative. <laughs> Yeah, so I'd assume you prefer writing fiction books over nonfiction, right? Because I would assume with the fiction books, I mean, not that you don't do um, have to do research for fiction books, but a lot of it, you know, it's coming from, you know, from within your own imagination. So it's, it's I want, I don't want to say it can be less work, but it's, I would say it's, well, for me, I would think it would be more enjoyable. Would, would you agree? It is. It is definitely more fun, I agree. <laughs> and as you say, I mean, you know, you come up upon a situation and you think, okay, I want to produce this scene, and that's when you have to do the research. But then once you've done the research, you can go back and, and imagine the actual scene and what people say and what people do. So the research yeah. is in the background. I hear you, I hear you. Mm. Now, if you had any um, advice to give like a new writer, um, that's thinking of writing a book and publishing it, what, what would you give them? What advice would you say? Um, well, for, firstly, never be afraid to revise and, and um, even erase, you know, or, always, uh, if anything is not going well, then stop and go back to where it was going okay, and it may be wipe out whatever it was that was causing the problem. And never be um, afraid to accept other people's suggestions and advice and criticism 
Um, you don't have to accept it, but at least listen to it, because usually it's very useful mm. in its constructive criticism. And then thirdly, um, you, you have to have a professional editor. You have to, uh, it's, it costs a bit, costs quite a bit, but you have to hire a professional editor because you just cannot see the book straight yourself. Mm. Okay, another question for you. Do you base any of the characteristics of the characters that you're writing about in your book on you on you and your own personality, or is or you just make it in, in brand the first fresh book, from scratch? <laughs> in the first book, I I didn't know. Um, in the second book, I did uh, to some extent. I mean, you know, the fact that um, my male protagonist was a was a professor who also was skeptical about um, non-factual conspiracy theories. Um, what reflected my own skepticism about it and the fact that I couldn't quite understand it. Well, you know, therefore I set him off actually investigating the entire cult to see what it is that makes them believe this utter nonsense, basically. And, you know, basically uh, uh, what, what does in fact inspire them is that they have, uh, generally speaking, their lives are a disappointment, uh, if not a complete failure. Uh, and the joining the conspiracy theory makes them join uh, an army of individuals who are on the winning side, so to speak, uh, and who are encouraging one another and who are giving them a sense of, you know, we're winning rather than I'm losing. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah, because I know sometimes I, like when I write, I would always pretty much base the characters either on my part of my part of their characteristics on, on me, or, you know, and, and then the other characters would be based on people I know. That, that's why I had, a, I wanted to ask that question. Because it's always, it's always interesting as to how um, writers develop the characters within their book. You know, I always find that fascinating. Do you do a lot of book tours to support your book or? Well, in, certainly not with this one. You know, this is one of the sad things that, authors depend quite a bit on readings in bookstores and so on yeah. and book clubs and none of that is being done except virtually and that doesn't doesn't have the same effect because you know if you're in a bookstore and somebody's signing the books of course you're going to buy them and get get them signed but if somebody offers to send you a signed copy in return for you know the purchase price those are it's too remote you know a few people will do it most of them won't yeah, I guess I guess hopefully that changes. I mean, I don't know where you are if things have opened up or not. A little but, uh, hopefully that changes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I agree with you. I hope it changes. I can't wait for it to change. But at the moment, yeah. it's still pretty close down, particularly here in um, you know LA County, which is where I live. Um, they're very restricted. You can't go anywhere in indoors without mask, etc. Wow. Yeah. Jersey was like that for a little bit. They, they've lightened up, but who knows what's going to happen now? Yeah. What's going out there now. Now, do you have a website that pe if people wanted to contact you? I, I do. Um, and it's quite a comprehensive website. Uh, it's BH Finney, F I N N E Y, BH Finney at bhfinney.com. Oh, okay. And then for everybody else who wants to get in touch with them on social media, He's available on Instagram. Yes, just I am. look for Brian Finney Ryder. So that's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, 
F-I-N-N-E-Y, Ryder. And then you can just find him on Instagram there. Correct. Well, Brian, it was a, it was great having you on your show. Hopefully we can have you back on when you come out with another, with your other book that you're working on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it was great talking about your book. And again, everybody, check out his book. It's available on Amazon. It's uh, called Dangerous Conjectures, and it's written by Brian Finney. It, can it, can your book be bought anywhere else? Like, is it available like in BarnesandNoble.com or anywhere else, or is it just yeah, yeah. Um, in another month or so it will be? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. But for now, you can get it on Amazon. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, again, it was great having you on the show. And for everybody that's listening, uh, just stay tuned. And we'll be back after a short break. During World War II, I was in prison in a Nazi camp. I died there, or so I thought. Instead, I became a creature of the dark world. Now I fight to protect my daughter. I am Marcus the Vampire. The book is now available at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com and RetortoFamilyBooks.com. Hi, everyone. This is Deborah Driggs, and you are listening to The Mark the Shark Show. Hi, everyone. Well, fortunately, all good things must come to an end, and that's all we have for this particular podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you keep following my, my podcast here, The Mark the Shark Show, and keep listening and look out for future podcast episodes.